Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Saber Talk podcast. This is Mark Ice and Josh Eppinger, and it's April twenty third, Sunday. Uh, how's everything going with you, Josh? Oh, just dandy. Uh, you know, we were, Mark and I were trying to get this podcast going today. Uh, I broke my laptop. Well, uh, yeah, I broke my laptop. Uh, battery. Uh, the charger broke inside my computer, so I went to borrow. Um, my stepmom's uh, laptop, and I forgot that she has like a tablet that is uh, with a keyboard in it, kind of thing. So that's all touchscreen. So we couldn't do that on. Uh, we couldn't do the podcast on that. And then uh, I called my buddy. Well, my buddy called me when I was on the phone with Mark, and I called him back. He wanted me to help him move some uh, furniture, so I got the went over there, and I'm like, "Hey, can I borrow your laptop?" And uh, you let me borrow it, so I'm just getting used to this Dell. Uh, thank you, Mr. Nick Holt, for uh, helping the Saber Podcast, the Saber Talk Podcast, with another episode today. Definitely, yeah. Thank you. We've been on the phone for yeah a couple times over the past couple hours, and we were trying to make that tablet thing work, but I don't know how good that would have turned out. And thankfully, you're able to get this computer, but you're still not at 100% strength because you're doing it at, on the internal mic on that. So hopefully the sound quality ends up all right, but we'll we'll roll with it. We had to get an episode out. We really couldn't wait any longer to do this. So hopefully it goes fine. Oh, it, it, it shall. How's everything been with you, Mark? Hey, not too bad. Another normal week. A lot of news, of course. I I hate that they made the decision to fire Murray and Bilesma at 9.30 in the morning or something out here because I was right in the middle of work and all I wanted to do was go on and read all the analysis about it. But uh, I, ju- I just woke up. I, I was bartending the night before. I just woke up and uh, I, I turned the TV on and uh, I went to Channel 35 just because uh, uh, see if any new, new news came out, uh, the instigators with Andrew Peters and Craig Reve, the goons, were on the were on there, and then all of a sudden, as soon as I turned it on, maybe thirty seconds later, he goes, "Wow, we got breaking news, and everything got serious." And uh, he said, "Coach Dan Bilesma and General Manager Tim Murray have been relieved of their duties." And uh, my first reaction to it was, I stood up and I yelled at my girlfriend. She's uh, across the hallway sewing my sister's wedding dress, and I stand up and I go, "Yeah!" And I'm like, but I'm like, then reality sat in, and I'm like, "All right." Where do we go from here? But shocked about Murray, and that's what kind of made the whole thing, you know, really interesting to me. After finding out that Murray went, got Murray was uh, relieved as well. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised by Murray too. We we hadn't really talked about it much. I'm, I'm not saying I didn't think it was a possibility at all, but I thought the chances were far higher that Bilesma would be fired than that Murray would be fired as well. So we'll get into. Whether th- whether we think one's justified or not, basically what happened to me when I f- when I heard the news, I some of my coworkers, most of them know I do one podcast. I do you know my separate podcast. We've talked about it on the show before, mm-hmm. but then I the always Marco say show. I do this other one too with my buddy, and <clears throat> this is kind of more of a fun one, I guess. But it it allows me to have an outlet to talk about hockey and to keep in contact with you too. Uh, oh yeah. So I said, well, it looks like I'm gonna have to put out another podcast episode tonight because Sabers just fired their GM and coach. So we're finally getting it out now. 
Wish it could have been a little earlier, but I'm just glad we're getting one out this weekend at all, considering your your technical difficulties out there. Hey, I'm jumping hoops and uh, making things happen still somehow. So, <laughs> Well, that's what we go through to get this important information to you. I know everybody's been waiting on pins and needles for this episode to come out. Yeah, you know, maybe uh, general manager, I mean, the coach, coach, oh my God. Wow. I know owner Terry Pagula has really been waiting to hear what we had to say about this before he could make a decision on what he's going to do with the team. So, yeah, he doesn't do anything without consulting the Saber Talk podcast first. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, so Dan, so, you know, something, Bilesmo's gone. We, uh, something we predicted early on, you've been waiting for it for about two years since he's been hired. And, uh, I was a little later on that wagon, uh, about you know halfway towards uh, halfway through the season. I realized this is a burning ship, and we had to jump off. But um, a guy that I and I know you've been very critical on Murray too, and I've always been. I've been. I've always kind of liked Murray, but uh, you know, you think about what's what how it all went down, and maybe he would have been able to save his job if he. Uh, if he would have fired Dan halfway through the season, I don't know. Maybe, yeah. It's all speculation. That's kind of the frustrating thing about this. And you and I are going to be speculating oh, a ton yeah. on this episode just because we don't really know much of what happened. First, the the big thing initially before either of them were fired was the report that Eichel was going to refuse to sign a contract extension unless Dan Bilesma was gone. And then his agent and him both came out strongly denied those reports so we don't really know what's true on that end and there are a lot of conflicting reports even now after the fact as to is is Pagula looking for new blood to come in as the next GM or is he going out and looking for experience we've heard both of those things so it's really hard to know exactly what happened and I don't know if Murray would have been saved by firing Bilesma maybe by firing Bilesma in the middle of the year if they'd gone on a run if they hadn't completely collapsed down the stretch it would have been a lot harder for Murray to go you know you could see the maybe some momentum under this new interim coach. Maybe the interim coach would have been made the permanent head coach and Murray could have salvaged his job yeah. that way. But I I think it's beyond either of us really knowing. Yeah, um, definitely. There, there was a few, you know, uh, there's a few uh, possible stories that I've read on the internet and stuff, but uh, nothing that's certain. But uh, I think it's I think it's a I think it's a, a smart move. I know you. Uh, one big problem that you had with Murray was him refusing to add depth down to Rochester, and uh, for to have more guys on this on this uh, team too. But uh, you know, you, you think about some trades. You know, I you know we we've talked about the Vander Kane trade a lot, and I mean probably Murray's biggest trade, if not the Ryan O'Reilly package deal. But uh, there's some other small trades that he really he really got his uh, butt handed to him, like the L.A. Kings trade with um, Brendan McNabb and um, a couple others. But you know, I understand that they're at that point they were trying to lose, you know. But you see, it gets a little frustrating when you see players making a, a having an impact on playoff teams that could have still been here too. Yeah, and I think trades overall. We can we can point at some good ones, point at some bad ones. I think Murray probably hovered around the league average 
I don't think his trades were really the reason why he was fired. I think assuming that he played the most prominent role in deciding to bring Dan Bilesma here, which that's what Pagula said in his press conference. He said that I wasn't really involved too much in the last coaching search. I had always been under the under the impression that it probably was Pagula wanting a bigger name, wanting experience coming in, and once they missed out on Babcock, then Bilesma became the logical next option. But who knows if we can trust what he said in that press conference. But if what he said is true, that means that Murray ultimately made the decision to bring in Bilesma. And so Bilesma's failures also have to fall on Murray. And can you waste more of Jack Eichel, uh, you know, Jack Eichel being on his entry-level deal and being relatively cheaper and Ryan O'Reilly and Evander Kane, if he's still around, these guys being in their prime. Can you waste more of that time with a second coach picked by Murray? So I think the coaching thing, that should fall on Murray if that really was his decision. And then another thing that I talked about, which I haven't really heard too many Sabres fans talk about, it's all about talking about was the tank right, was the tank successful, and I think – that's been talked about ad nauseum, so we probably shouldn't talk about it all that much on this podcast. But him saddling the team with some bad contracts. So they made, in between the two tank years, they went out and signed Gianta, traded for Georges, signed Matt Molson, And now those are really the moves that made it impossible for them to improve the defense too much last year. They couldn't go out and sign somebody like Chris Russell. They didn't have... They didn't have a few million dollars to spend because they had this money tied up in Georges and Molson, and they had it tied up in Gianta this year too. Of course, that contract's coming off the books now. But I think that's an un, that's a really overlooked aspect of Murray failing. Did not give himself the flexibility to be able to go out and improve the defense. And if the defense had been better, he very he probably would have still been the GM this offseason. So, sir, I know I threw a ton of yeah, information there at once. No, but you're absolutely you're absolutely right, and it was. Well, job, job well done. But uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, having guys, having guys like Matt Molson getting paid five million dollars a year is really uh, not going to help us help us be, uh, bring in a guy like, like you said, like um, like a Russell or even a big name like Yandel. And I mean, I don't know how much of the Florida Panthers, and the, I don't mean to bounce back to the trades, but I don't know how much of the Florida Panthers season. You saw, but um, we made the trade to bring Kulikov to ideally play on on Rissalainen's left side, which we all know how that ended up, and uh, he got hurt in the beginning of the season and couldn't play, and uh, had a pretty terrible year. And so I'm sure that Murray would, you know, say, "Well, if that didn't happen, I'd still be in. I'd still have my job." But the problem with that is, is that you look at Mark Pisick down in Florida. And Pizik is a guy that came up with Sabres, played a lot in Rochester, um, but he's playing with all their young guys. He's the he's the he's the young guy taking charge of all the young guy lines down there with uh, all the young guy pairings down there in Florida, which has been somewhat successful. Um, we lost uh, lost a pretty good player there in Pizik, but uh, at the time, me and you were. Both uh, ecstatic to bring Dmitry Kulikov, and so I'm sure you know injury plays a role, but not having the not having the room to uh, make this team better is where he ultimately failed. Yeah, and really all his eggs were put in that Kulikov basket. If they'd had more money to play around with, 
then you know you could add Dmitry Kulikov. You could have gone out and done something else as well, and Kulikov going down wouldn't have been the complete end of the world. But th- that's really the position that they were forced into. And the worst part about it, talking about the, the, the Georges move and the Molson move and the Gianta move, is these were all done for culture purposes. Let's let's make this good culture, even though we know we're going to lose the next year because it was done in, in the 2014 offseason before the Eichel tank year. But you make all these moves. And yeah, that team, there, there wasn't much dissension on that team despite how bad they were in 2014, 2015. But did it really even matter that much? The whole roster turned over before the next year anyways, for the most part. And now look at what happened this year. Was there culture on this on this team this year? Did those moves pay off this year? Everything completely fell apart. And it seemed like disaster after disaster every week. It was It was always something new. So not only... Did these moves not improve the culture? Which I have a problem with all these, everybody talking about culture and people in the mainstream hockey world, they love to talk about it. They do it in football, baseball, you know, every sport has people that are yeah. doing that. But those moves not only were bad financially, but they didn't do even what they were supposed to do. So I, no. that's where I have the, the biggest problem. And I guess it's not the biggest problem I have with Murray, but nobody's talking really about those mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, and you're and you're absolutely right. What what culture was in that locker room this year? Ever you know, um it it's like uh an episode of uh Sunny in Philadelphia in that locker room. Everyone's fighting and arguing and complaining and you know, everyone's angry but they have uh they all have the same goal. They're all mad about the same thing, but they couldn't get anything done. So how great of a leader is Josh George's at that point or Brian Gianta? I don't know. We're not in the locker room, but it's, it, it, you know, let's, uh, let's start, let's start thinking of our mind and not our hearts, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And those were, those moves were, I wouldn't say cheered. I think everybody knew that that, that that Molson contract was going to hurt over time. Um, I don't, I don't remember too, too many people being ecstatic about that one. Gianta, we knew we overpaid, I think, but that one was only three years. And, of course, that's not hurting him now. But to give up a second-round pick for Georges as well when he shouldn't even be in the top six next year, that one really hurts. And that's one big difference between what Toronto has done and what Buffalo has done. And I hate to bring up the Leafs comparisons because that's what you hear all the time. That's all everybody's talking about. But they haven't saddled themselves with bad contracts, and they've been really good at getting themselves out of bad contracts. And the Sabres have done the reverse. They didn't have any bad contracts, really. And then, so yeah, they, took they added on. a bunch. Yeah. And it's not as bad as some other teams, but it's still not a good situation. They're basically capped out, and they were one of the worst teams in the league despite being right up to the cap. And they didn't really have dead – I'll say dead money, like players not playing for them that were on long-term injury reserve or anything like that. They don't really have much of that at all or many buyouts or anything either. So it's it's a, yeah. it's a tough situation to come into as a GM, as a new GM, because I don't think there's much room there. There's there's not much flexibility at all. No, no. it's uh, there, Whoever comes in and takes this thing over is going to have to – make some hard decisions and uh it's it's scary um i hope you know i really hope that uh 
we can find the right guy for the job. Um, I don't know if that's bringing in a GM or an experienced GM or maybe bringing in a, a hockey czar and a less experienced GM. And uh, I don't know. I'm kind of liking the whole hockey, you know, bringing a ho- hockey czar guy in ch- control of hockey operations because obviously Pakula doesn't know, you know, he's, a, he's just the money man. You know, he's a fan of the team. And... He's not gonna know what guy to bring in. He they he said that they have about six guys on their pro board uh, to help make decisions, and I don't I I don't know. I'm a little I'm I'm a little nervous about it. It's uh there's there's a lot of hard work to be done. Yeah, I agree, and I, I that's actually what I was gonna ask you about next was the idea of yeah this. Hockey's are yeah president of hockey operations something like what Brendan Shanahan is in in Toronto um, and a lot of teams have that kind of guy now but I use the comparison lightning yep um, yeah the Jackets have it with uh, John Davidson's in that position like a lot of these franchises these all, have these, them and these are all pretty good teams pretty good teams that do it too so why not Buffalo? yeah and there's no cap on paying guys in in management. Mm-hmm in the in the front office yeah. that's what toronto's done i mean they, they shanahan they brought in lou lamorello jacques jacques martin is there i believe in their front office as well they've they've got a lot of money invested in their front office and i don't want to say that they're perfect or anything and that we should be doing everything looking to, to what toronto has done but i think it's a good idea especially and i use the comparison i discussed this with my mom who's probably one of our most loyal listeners on the Saber Talk podcast here. She, Thank yep, you, she always guys. gives me some, some feedback, and uh, we always have some good conversation based on what we've said. But I said, okay, think about what think about what Pagula does. Say that he wanted to start a coal mine or something. He wanted to get into the coal mining business, and he went in and tried to do it himself and make decisions himself and failed at it for five, six, seven years. Do you think he would keep trying to, to make the decisions himself or would he realize, you know what, I don't really know what I'm doing here. I'm never going to know as much as these people that have been in the coal mining business their entire lives. So I should go out and hire a coal mining expert and pay what I need to to get that expertise in here to ultimately make the decisions. That's the only way I'm going to be successful in this business. I think that's what he would do there and I think that's what he has to do in hockey as well. He doesn't know what he's doing in professional sports and I don't think he's ever going to know enough to be able to compete with front offices that that do know what they're doing that have people that ha, that have been doing this for 30 40 years so i think he needs to hire a hockey czar something similar to that and seed control yeah you know and it's like you you think of uh i hate to bring these guys up but think of robert Kraft and the patriots um you think that guy's making this? You think that guy's making any decisions? Absolutely not. You saw him after the AFC Championship game this year, after he held the AFC Championship trophy and just wasted. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I love the Pagulas. I, I, I don't want to turn this into a bash and Terry Pagula, Kim Pagula thing because I feel like some people kind of get to that extent when they're talking I agree. about this. Um, they're they're just the people that own it. They they say they saved the Sabers. They they bought the Bills. They're they're like the godfathers of the city. 
that I love, that I've grown up rooting for their sports teams my entire life. And, you know, it's like the, uh, uh, it's been six, seven years since they've owned the Sabres. And people, some people sound like they, they want to, you know, chase them out of town like the med- medieval times it, it, with, um, you know, with, uh, you yeah. know. Pitchforks. It's just great. It's yeah. just great. Pitchforks. Is Torches and pitchforks. pitchforks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, no, these guys, these guys deserve to be respected, but they need to learn a little more about trusting other people and, and who they're going to put in charge of their fran- the head of, ahead of their franchises. And they also need to learn to deport Russ Brandon out of Buffalo. I agree Sit with you there. there. Yep. I don't. I do not know how he survived all these different regimes that we've had, and how he's involved with both franchises. So I think we can both agree on it with a very short conversation. Russ Branded should not be involved with these franchises anymore, and people are always going to be pointing at that until he's gone. That's always going to be something that a majority of people point to, and they'll say, "As long as Russ Brandon's here, nothing's going to change. These teams are not going to be good. Nothing's going to be different." Um, but I think. I, I completely agree with you that we need to have a nuanced middle ground kind of between you can criticize the Pagulas and say these are the mistakes that they've made, but also look at the positives of the situation that the Sabres are in and the, and the Bills too. But think about where we were seven, eight years ago and how money was always an issue and we always thought how can the Sabres really be a long-term contender when they don't spend what other teams spend? And we even may have had worries about the team's long-term future in Buffalo. And now we don't have those concerns anymore. But it goes to show that that wasn't the only issue in the past. That it's not like once the money comes, winning comes with it. That's not how sports work. But we need to look at the positives of the situation and realize that the Pagoulas are new sports owners and it's there is a learning curve there. But I think we're about at that point where we need to start start to expect to see progress and start to start to expect to see now that they've gone through a couple coaches each and they've gone through management teams with both the bills and sabers start to improve so it is a learning curve and i think you or i stepping into the situation if we were to buy our favorite team especially when we had been such such a successful business person that we had made billions of dollars we would probably think i can come in and make the decisions and I'm going to do just fine because that's what he's done his entire life. He's been successful. The decisions he've made, he's made have been the right ones. That's how he's gotten to the point where he is, where he's this rich, but they need to, they need to realize now your decisions have not been right in professional sports and they're not going to be right. So that's kind of where I am. I don't know if, if you have any different opinion there or not. No, no, I, uh, you know, we, we we saw it in uh, after Breer and Drury left. We saw it with um, you know bringing in um, Christian Erhoff and Robin Regeer and Billy Leno, and they just went out there and spent money. They they forked money out, uh, and yeah, it got them into the playoffs, but uh, once or twice I think. But uh, it's they didn't win any rounds. It's it they were projected to be. That first year they bought the team after they bought the first year after they bought that team and made all those moves, they were projected to win the President's Trophy again um, by a lot of people. It wasn't just you know Buffalo fans projecting them. It was 
it was national media. And now, yeah, the, I am, I, and I brought it up earlier and I'm just reiterating the fact that I, I'm a hundred percent in on hockey czar. I, I want someone over the GM and, uh, you know, and someone to come in and make all these moves for, for the Pagulas. Uh, I don't know if you're feeling the same way, but that's, that's where I'm at on this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm in the same position now. I think that's where the money needs to be thrown and then go from there. And I think that's probably what the majority of the fan base wants as well. I think it was, it was a mistake to have a new GM, Tim Murray, who he'd never done it before to really have him be in charge of all these things when really it would have been nice to have just allowed him to work on player personnel and, and trades and, and that aspect of being a GM and have another person above him really that was a hockey expert. That would have been a much better partnership to have. And that's what I think they wanted with Pat LaFontaine. Yeah. But then, however, that ended up breaking down. We don't really know many details on that. I, I don't remember seeing much about what yeah. really broke down there. But I think that was the plan initially. But then once LaFontaine left, there wasn't really that experienced hockey guy to go along with with Murray. So I think it was a it was a bad situation for Murray to be in. He did not do himself any favors, made a lot of mistakes. But I I definitely could have seen the justification for bringing him back for another year. Yeah. Yeah, I I I expected it for at least another year. Hey, he got one more shot. He did it. And you know what? I'm all right with it. I did like his personality. Very dry. It was kind of humorous. Well, he's obviously very dry. And I just thought it was kind of humorous. Uh, but uh, I liked I liked some moves. I, I did I, I liked that he wasn't afraid to make a deal. Um, but you know we we talk about how Darcy Regeer making those moves really screwed the team. And you know he always had great trade values. He always made great trade values. But uh, we were all ready to get rid of him too. So. Yeah, yeah, and I think the O'Reilly trade, we're going to continue to praise him for. That turned out to be a very good trade. He knew more than we did as fans because I wasn't a fan of it at first because I thought they'd have trouble re-signing O'Reilly, but they were able to get a new deal locked up very quickly upon trading for O'Reilly. The Kane trade started to look better this year. It'll look much less bad if Bogosian finds himself under a new coach which I think is a real possibility. I haven't written him off completely. I still think his contract's not going to look good either way, but it may not look like a complete anvil next year. Uh, and then we could see what, what Kane could turn into if they trade him. But like you mentioned before, that the Hudson fashing Braden McNabb trade, that does not look good in retrospect, giving up McNabb in two second-round picks. The Leonard trade, I still really dislike even though Leonard had a pretty <coughs> solid year this year uh I'm trying to think of other ones the, the Georges yeah. one terrible did some good things some bad things at the deadline um kind of a mixed bag I guess like I said I think you, I would call him pr- pretty much league average when it comes to trades or not too far from the league average some good some bad uh so I don't think the trades really are why no, he was ultimately no, it's fired. The state of the, it's the state of the Sabres right now, and we digress after a year, obviously, and 
I mean, there's still there's still plenty of uh, answers and tribulations to go through, but still. Um, I'm one thing that I and I haven't heard any news on it, but one thing that really kind of bummed me out about Murray getting traded is that uh, Las Vegas essentially doesn't owe us a favor anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I would like to know what that was. Well, because uh, I don't know why they would owe us a favor. There was a player in the Washington Capitals uh, organization that we uh, we had that we they traded to us for us to put him on waivers so they could pick him right back up. This is that this is what happened. I can't remember the player, but uh, it was uh, in the. I'm pretty sure it was with the um, when we got a third round pick for. Um. Well, we had we got it, Klesla in that deal, but he ended huh. up retiring. I was listening to something about it the other day. Um. But either way, Murray seemed pretty confident and hinted towards Vegas owing him a, you know, the the general manager of Vegas. Yeah. Like the handshake deal was, I think, the term that was used. Yeah, and I don't know what I th- that would be. Uh, I think I was kind of – so I don't know. Do, do you follow uh, Jeff Vallette on um, Twitter? He's a Leafs guy. He does a lot of gifts of the playoff games, and he's talked a lot about the Sabres. He's the guy that said that uh, – kind of hyperbolically said that Cody Franson was a Sabres best oh, defenseman. I don't know if yeah. you've ever seen all yep. that uproar yep. among yep. Sabres fans. The Leafs guy, yeah. But he, yeah, he, yeah, he, he talks a lot about the Sabres, and I generally actually think that he's more right than wrong, and he's pessimistic about the Sabres. But I feel like it's kind of like when I talk about the Wings, sometimes it's easier to distance yourself from it when you're not a fan of that team. And he was saying. I don't understand the optimism that people think that Vegas is going to be willing to take Ennis, Bogosian, or Molson off the Sabres' hands, or really, you know, any bad contracts off of teams' hands for any reason. Like, they're not going to have the incentive to. So, I think people are being a little too optimistic about that, and I I do wonder if that's what this handshake deal was, but I wonder why that would exist in the first place. What, so, it had to do with McPhee in the past? Yeah. Like when he was with the Capitals still? Yeah, yes. Is what they're saying? Yes. Yeah, I don't – I never heard that Murray explained it all, yeah. so. I'm not going to dig it out of my head right now, but I had a conversation yeah. with someone at some point with about this. Because, um, yeah, that trade was – it was the Sabres' third-round pick and – Yarrow Halak for Neuvert and Klesla, I think, was the trade. But then what, Klesla ended up retiring. Was the Weber trade and just Weber for a pick straight out? And that was, yeah, just Weber for a third. And McPhee wasn't there. At that time? No. At that time. Okay. I don't believe. I think he was gone before last year. Well, that's either if that's I, either here or there. Um, yeah. I'm just more curious than anything, I guess. <laughs> um. <laughs> Well, my my whole thought process was we would protect Olmark and uh, and then leave one of those guys being Ennis. Uh, 
Ennis, Bogosian, um, Molson, one of those guys out there, and Vegas would take on a bad contract for us. But Wait, protect Olmar? Yeah. Well, you'd have to leave Leonard exposed. Well, you can only, only protect one goalie. Well, you can, you're, you're protect, but at that point, if you don't have a deal with him, you're just protecting his unrestricted free agent. His restricted free agent. He's a restricted yeah, re- free yeah. agent, you're though. You're yeah. protecting his rights at that point, though, right? Well, but yeah, that's still more valuable than than Leonard. A restricted free agent is still your your property. I don't think there's any chance that they protect Olmark over Leonard, unless the new management team hates Leonard for whatever reason. <laughs> Everyone just hated uh-huh. him besides Murray. Yeah, I mean, but I coming off a year with his save percentage, on that nine twenty nine twenty five oh, range, and yeah. you have his rights. <clears throat> I don't think there's any. I think Olmark will be left unprotected unless. At, unless Leonard's traded or something before the expansion draft, which would surprise me too. Yeah, but, you still have to sign him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think it does become more likely that he may just be back next year on his qualifying offer, which I believe is going to be $3.15 million. But I could now that Murray is gone, nobody really has a connection to Leonard. Yeah. And you do see that with management. Like, Murray would see Leonard as his guy. Okay, I'm going to commit to my guy. I really believe in him. I was willing to trade a first-round pick for him. But a new management team's not going to have that kind of connection to him. So I think it is more likely that he ends up being just back on a uh, on a prove-it deal next year. Yeah, I could see it. Which I think is the right move. Yeah. Well, I mean, what else can you really do? With, he, he's had – this is his first real year in the NHL, you know, full season. Uh, played – played quite a few games and played pretty well um i'm a big fan i'm just you know cap wise we're you know where do we go if we we have the guys but we don't have the room yeah yeah and maybe maybe the expansion draft is a way to maybe by trading a pick or some prospects or something to vegas you can get them to take one of those contracts off of their hands, but if I'm Vegas, I'm just going to take Justin Falk or Olmark because both of those guys look like they're going to be exposed, and then you have no long-term commitments unless they really need some money to hit the hit the salary floor, the cap floor. Uh, but it looks like there are going to be enough quality players with big contracts up out there that they can take that'll enable them to reach the floor, and they're going to be able to sign free agents too. You know, they can go out rather than taking a bad two-year Matt Molson contract, they could go out and they could sign some free agent to a ridiculous one-year deal, like a like some Mazaros-type deals, like what the Sabres did back in the tank years to hit the floor. Yeah. So we'll see. I am I would love to be optimistic, but I'm just not about Vegas being the way out of cap hell. Yeah. What, um, what, uh, what what are is there any uh, terms or anything any buyout options on uh, any of those contracts? I, there are options, but none of them look particularly good. Molson's buyout after next year wouldn't be ridiculous. Uh, I think there's one year where there's a pretty pretty decent dead cap hit, and it spreads it out over two years rather than just in the one year. But that could be an option for Molson next year. Ennis, I'll be honest, I've not looked at at his buyout situation, so I can't speak to it.
Bogosian's contract is too long. I, th- there's no way they would buy him yeah. out, but there's no compliance buyout anymore to be able to have a get-out-of-jail-free card, unfortunately, anymore. Yeah. That's another move that Tyler, we talk about Sabres deals and Bills deals and stuff they do that's just, like, fan-pleasing, and the Tyler Ennis deals right there for me. You know, a struggling team, he could have went and played somewhere else. You know, let his contract go out, and you're planning on losing anyways. And he signed him to that big. He signed him to that big deal. What four years ago, three years ago. Yeah. And you know, he was generally the only player through those tank years that he put the team on his back and did some incredible stuff. But uh, a move you didn't have to make if if you knew. Yeah, you know, if we knew better. I mean, granted. If I knew not to go to play blackjacks at the casino because I was going to lose two hundred dollars, I'm not going to do it. But how? There's no way of knowing. So, yeah, I think that's kind of a good comparison there because with Ennis, I I liked the move at the time. Yeah, I'll be honest because he didn't have his major concussion concussion issues at that point, and he was a highly effective player, and you could see him being a 50 to 60 point forward going forward, you know, perfect for that kind of second line role with a lot of offensive zone starts and easier matchups once the Sabres got in more talent. But he has not been the same player since those concussions really started to hamper him. So that's why the, the contract looks so bad now. But I actually wrote an article about it back when it happened, and I was I was fairly supportive of it. And I was surprised that Murray made a big commitment to a guy that wasn't his. We just talked about that with Leonard, mm-hmm. how you know management has their guys, and Ennis was from the prior regime. But I said, you know, based on Ennis's performance, I can't really argue with this. I think he's going to fit in well on a team once there's more talent here, once there's an Eichel type here that's able to carry a first line. Ennis would be perfect on that second line. But just like with the Kulikov trade, you can't really – you know, you can't predict the future and things happen. These are fra- like human beings have fragile bodies and fragile brains and things happen that you, that you just can't predict. So that one's more frustrating than anything. Yeah. Like I, the other ones you could see, you could easily see kind of the timeline of how they could go bad. Yeah. And it was harder to see with Ennis cause he was only what? Tw- 24 yeah. at the time or 20, 23 or 24 at the time when he signed that deal. So you thought, okay, yeah, they're getting him locked up for for six years right throughout the prime of his career, and the cap's only going to go up. Uh, but unfortunately, things didn't work out as planned, and that's even more basically money tied up yeah. with no productivity whatsoever. Like I didn't even see, pen- see people penciling in Ennis to their lineups next year, their top 12 forwards next year. Yeah, we'll see. Um that's the thing. That's the one thing that's really hard about this whole, um, you know, Murray getting fired thing is, where is the team going to be going? I mean, I saw the team. I saw Murray really trying to protect Kane. Kane's a guy that that doesn't have the best reputation around the league. Obviously, who how we how we know what the next guy's going to think? You know, who how you know how are people going to how there's so many questions. It's you can. You, I'm killing myself thinking about it every day. Every day, where where are they gonna go? What 
you know, who what's the, what's the new guy going to think of uh, Kane or what's the new guy going to think of Leonard or what's the new guy uh, going to think for uh, head coach, you know, it, it, and what, what, what system this, they should be playing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, you can ask yourself this a hundred times and there's no viable answer at this moment. So it's not knowing is hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's how we are as creatures. Human beings don't like uncertainty. Most of us like mm-hmm. security and to know at least somewhat what to expect. And right now everything's completely up in the air. Like I said, even yeah. the rumors coming out, we can't even really take any stock in the rumors because some of the rumors have said completely different things. So, it's a, but it can be exciting at the same time too. Yeah, I, I saw somebody say, I don't remember who it was. It was one of the one of the Buffalo media types saying that this is the best time to be a Buffalo sports fan. You have nothing to be mad about, and when things are completely up in the air, when there's you know there's no coach or GM to point at, that is actually probably the best time it's been to be a Buffalo sports fan in recent history. Yeah, it's it's a it's a lot to it's a lot to take in for sure. Um, I'm seeing, uh, a tweet came out yesterday from, uh, John Shannon from, uh, Sportsnet. And, uh, he said the Sabres have started building their list of candidates for GM. Sounds like they're looking for new blood as opposed to a veteran manager. So I, when I, when I, when I read that, I really start thinking, well, that sounds, if they're going to bring in a young guy for uh general manager, there's going to be a guy over. But wouldn't that guy? Wouldn't they already have a? If they're making a list of GMs, are they? Is Terry Pagul giving this list to a hockey stars? Like, all right, pick between these guys because I'm. This is not going to be a job that like people are like. Oh, I don't know if I should go and uh, take over the Sabres franchise. They have a young star and a pretty good core of guys that just haven't seen the work out. This is going to be a very highly covenant job. Someone's going to, you know, people are going to want this job. I don't think people are going to be like, oh, it's the Sabres in Buffalo. And I feel like a lot of people from Buffalo kind of get that feeling sometimes. But I think that. That's kind of how I felt, too, to be honest in this. (laughs) Did you? Well, because I want to think the way that you're thinking, and it makes sense. You know, saying a team with Jack Eichel and and this talent that that they do have, yeah, things aren't perfect, but that should be a job that people want. But then the pessimist in me looks at all the dysfunction and do the Pagulas know what they're doing and are they going to f- fire me after two years like they just did with Tim Murray? I think a lot of those questions start to raise in people's minds. So I, f- I feel like it's somewhere in between the two. It's not you know as highly coveted probably as you would think a team with Jack Eichel would be in a passionate fan base like the Sabres would be able to draw and it's probably not as pessimistic as the people saying oh it's Buffalo nobody's ever going to want to come here no matter what but I've I'm probably more pessimistic on, uh, than you on this point at least yeah and that's fine I I just think that you know people are going to want to my my first thought is people want to go somewhere where they can win and and granted, yeah, Buffalo, we haven't had a big winning culture, but we have culture. <laughs> no, but but uh, um, when you got someone as good as Jack Eichel, you know, top five, next generation star. Yeah, I think I think people are gonna want to come here. 
Yeah, I guess it, especially when you're comparing it to the other GM jobs that are open too. Like I looked at the Kings whole cap situation because I Holy figured th- they've, <laughs> they've probably got to blow it up somewhat at some point. So I was looking, okay, is there anybody that could make sense from a Sabres perspective? And yeah, I knew that they were in a horrible cap situation, but that is not a place I would want to go into as a GM. That's not going to be a coveted job whatsoever. Uh, so I guess relative to the other GM jobs that will be available, Buffalo will be toward the higher end at the least of how coveted it is. I don't know if they'll have their choice of candidates, but uh, they should have a pretty, you know, pretty wide list, pretty wide range of people that would be willing to come here. Yeah. Um, the one popular Buffalo person thought process I feel like is right now is uh, they want uh, to bring in the Rangers assistant general manager, Chris Drury. What do you think about that, Mark? I would say I'm not a huge fan of it. I think there are other assistant GMs out there with a longer track record and a better resume than Drury. Uh, if they're looking to do it just for marketing purposes, that would obviously be big time for marketing reasons, but I do not want to be making any more decisions based on how it looks. I don't want optics to be the most important thing, and I think I'm, that's I'm what right they would be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Very you little feel the experience. Same way. Yeah. yeah, very little experience. Uh, you know, I appreciate what he did here, but I, and you know, he didn't even like, you know, he liked being in the team, but he did not like being a Buffalo and being noticed. He liked to be under, you know, away from people. And there's no way I don't think he would be interested in the job, and I don't think we should be interested in him. Is uh, is my thought process? Yeah, he's not anywhere near the near the top of the list for me. Yeah. and I think it's people. People like name value. I I know Buffalo fans are very guilty of it. I know fan. I'm sure fans and of other franchises, especially franchises that have not had much recent success, do do very much the same thing. But I don't think Drury should be near the top of our list at all. Is there anybody out there that you really have your eye on? Um, well, the one uh the one uh assistant manager from uh I mean assistant manager from uh. From uh, Tampa Bay, uh, fr- French guy. Uh, I can't think of his name. Brisebois. Brisebois, yeah. Yeah, and he's I'd the GM it. of the the Crunch as well. Yes, that's that was uh, that was about my number one. Uh, that was my number one thought right there. Yeah, I think I that initial, would be my first initial thought was uh, Brisebois. Yeah, he's only I believe what forty years old. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, maybe a couple of years older than that. I think I, for some reason I remember seeing 40 years old next to his name. But he's got some connection to the central New York area, too. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. from a great organization, even in a losing year this year, you could see what, what Iserman did. And really to put them in better cap situation and better position for the expansion draft. That's just a, a well-run franchise. And that's hey, a place where people really want to be. Yeah, because I, of that. I, yeah, yeah, I agree. It's a really well put together team. It's a successful organization. Yes, they missed the playoffs this year. Yes, they gave uh, Stamkos money after Evan Boykot on his arm, and he comes out and then fucking freaking uh, uh, tears his ACL. So I mean, I mean, they've had some bad luck, but I mean, you, you look at some of the players on that team, and they're in Florida. How does Florida get that? good of a hockey franchise right there i mean 
they're they're one of my favorite teams in the league, and they're in our division, so I should probably shut up. It's tough. I got a I got a Stamkos yeah. jersey back before the Lightning moved to, you know, back before the Lightning and the Sabers were in the same division. But I remember I still that. have a soft spot for him. I gave you holy hell for that too. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> what problem did you have with Stamkos at the time? No, I just had you. I had a problem with you buying a jersey that wasn't the Sabers. I've got a few. I've got a Paul yeah. Korea Ducks jersey and a Peter Forsberg Nordiques jersey. That's sweet. Yeah, um, Natty got me that one for for my birthday a couple years ago. Yeah, it was a good one. Uh, um, so back to our discussion. Yeah, Breezeball would be would be great. I think he's done a really good job with the crunch too. They've done a, a really good job of bringing up players through their system and having them be ready. And the crunch are consistently pretty good every year uh, because of that. So I would have no yeah. problem with that either. He should be high up on the list. And it's nice to me that he doesn't have prior Sabres connections. That's almost a positive yeah. to me because we've done that <laughs> time and time again, always looking for the prior Sabres connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, another name that was thrown out there was the Blackhawks assistant GM, Norm McIver. Yeah. So that's another yeah. another guy to look at or to think about. Yep. I I'd be I'm definitely interested in him. Um What do you think about a name like uh Dean Lombardi? I hear I'm reading that name a lot. Uh not personally me, I'm I'm not convinced that's the right move, but uh you have an opinion on uh Lombardi? I would not be a fan whatsoever of bringing in yep. Lombardi. I think he inherited a ton of young assets and made some good decisions, made some good moves, you know, got them into cup contender status, but I think he inherited a great situation and then did not do what you need to do to be consistently competitive year after year. And that's putting yourself into, into cap hell and continuing to, to sign all these super long-term contracts with these older guys. Mike Richards, they were lucky to end up getting out of that contract, and they could have used their compliance buyout the offseason prior to that on Mike Richards. But luckily they, luckily for them, they ended up getting out of it anyways. But uh, just a lot, of poor, a lot of poor decisions, and I know you can't be competitive forever, but I feel like their window should have been wider than it was. But by basically making it impossible to make any moves because they had no flexibility whatsoever. He really made his own bet. So I would not be a fan. What do you think? I'm definitely, definitely right there with you. Um, another big popular thing, uh, all this, all the Buffalo fans are saying are, uh, you know, you bring in, uh, Jim, uh, Schoenfield for general manager and then have Phil Housley as the coach. <laughs> Yeah, I would not be a fan of Schoenfeld as coach. That would be yeah, – or as, yeah. as, a, as GM or in the front office. That's I, – I wouldn't like that. I, I would like to see Phil Housley be one of the candidates for coach, though. I think he's going to be sought after around the league. He's been an assistant for a while. He's, he's been a – like I said, a sought-after person. He's going to get a head coaching job at some point, so I would not mind him being – in the mix whatsoever. He's the one guy with Buffalo connections. I think that I don't have much of a problem with that. I wouldn't have much of a problem with. What are your opinions on, on Housley? Housley? Uh, I, I'm not too, uh, I'm not too, uh, 
I know he's been, I know he's been, uh, you know, assistant coaching and been around, but uh, I'm not, I don't know too much about him. I know what he, I know he played for, you know, played for the Sabers, great on the back end, and I just hope that uh, I, I, I wouldn't know enough about him to say I have a true, honest opinion. Okay, yeah, that's that's fair. It's tough to know much about the guys who've been assistants recently too to really yeah yeah I'm sure really know too much people are even getting carried away and saying you know we might have talked about it on our last podcast actually about McKee yeah yeah <laughs> so we don't have to go there again yeah yeah um, I think once again similar to Drury I, I I think Drury very well may be a GM at some point in the future Jay McKee very well may end up being a head coach in the NHL at some point in the future, but they're just guys with better resumes out there with, with more experience. Even if you're looking for a young, if you're looking for young, fresh blood, there's still guys with more experience and better resumes than those guys. Now we just got to get, you know, Russ Brandon out and we'll be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another name that I've been pretty interested in is Craig Conroy from the uh, from the flames their situation will be one to watch because their gm uh treloving his contract's up and what people are saying is if they don't renew his contract then conroy would be next in line to be their gm but maybe if if treloving does get an, an extension then conroy would be pretty highly sought after around the league for gm positions so I would like that too. I think he's another one of those assistant GMs that should be in the mix. Yeah, I think I think you gotta look at where where teams where successful teams have been and who's seen success. I mean, I think uh, the see it's one thing, the do it's another. But see this if you're if, if you're around it and you're part of that build, it's gonna it's gonna help you do it on your own if if you have the right stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think coming from quality organizations is important. It's not everything. I'm not saying that only mm-hmm. the great organizations have have the talent, but it seems to be that way. Typically, good organizations are better at identifying talent, not just as their own GMs, but as their scouts, as their assistant GMs, as their coaching staffs. So you tend to see the better candidates come from the better franchises. Yeah, so... Um... You know, we talked an awful lot about GM GMs, and we talked about Housley as a coach. Uh, any uh, coaching names that come off your bat near your uh, mind? I know we talked a little bit about this last week, but uh, anything new come up to you? If I say I still haven't done my full deep dive into mm-hmm. into who I would like to see, um, Housley is definitely one of the ones that that came to mind quickly. If they really want some young blood. Travis Green would be another option, I think. Uh, Travis people Green, have, I'm, I'm interested in that. I'd be yeah. interested in Green. Green, I know, is in the AHL now. But Utica, they're, they're a great franchise, and they've done very well over time. So he's also a younger guy, some, some fresher blood. So I would like very much so to look at both the AHL route and the OHL route. I don't know. I don't know about the college route at this point. I know we talked about that a lot in our yeah. prior podcast. And I don't know if they'll end up hiring from the college ranks, but definitely Green, is, he's probably my favorite name from the AHL. 
Okay. How about you? Uh, Any names that that jump out? Um, no. Uh, I've uh, you know, I I have been like I said in the last podcast. I'd be interested in the Otters coach. He's uh really built built a winner. You know, even though having Connor McDavid was really gonna help you, and those are kind of like the uncoachable guys, so to speak. But uh, you know, they're uh playing in the Western Conference Finals right now. Again, seems like they're there every year, and uh, I think you know he's been he's built a winner with young players, and we have some young players that need some work. Uh, there's a you know there's a there's a I, I I'd still be interested in uh, you know the Jim Montgomery camp, but uh, it looks like Florida Panthers are very interested in that as well. Uh, they'll be looking yep. for a coach, and uh, I don't know if. You're, if you're a coach, if I don't know if Florida's the sexier offer, but if you live in Denver and uh, coach hockey out there, I don't know if that's where he's originally from or not, but, uh, you know, I think going to Florida, you wouldn't want to be there. Uh, not too big on the David Quinn camp, uh, but who knows? There's a uh, – there's, uh, Supposedly a strong bond between Quinn and to Chris Jury. Uh, hmm. Supposedly is what I'm reading. I you know I'm not saying that it's a uh, you know absolute truth, but something to think of. Yeah. Uh, another name too. Another AHL guy. If I'm going to keep on the you know the the Travis Green path, Sheldon Keefe from the Marlies. He's oh. only he's under forty. I know. So if they really wanted to go young, that could be an option. But he's apparently highly sought after. I don't know as much about him as, as Green. Daryl Sutter, too, that's another one we should probably talk about. I wonder if Lombardi and Sutter are going to end up being, uh, a, being a package deal somewhere. I hope it's not here. I just Old blood. I know it's they've had success. They've won a couple of cups. Something that we've never seen before, but uh, still not too sure about bringing in uh, guys that put their – well, bringing in uh, Sutter who uh, – who's an older guy who's had, you know, coached, coached some great teams, had very good success success with Anze uh, Kopitar, a player that Eichel actually said he'd like to be more like as referring to being a two-way player. Um, but you look at that cap situation with – and uh, with Lombardi and I, nah, I don't, I don't want to get there. Like that. Yeah, I would absolutely. I would not like it if I would not like it if they were if they came as a package deal. I like Sutter though. If he was to come by himself, I would not have an issue with that. They've been consistently a very good possession team. They're a very good possession team this year too. They just didn't have much firepower, and I think the lack of firepower was due to their cap situation. But I think he's a very good coach and maybe the best name out there if the Sabres are trying to ramp this up into a cup run over the next couple years. But I don't know if he's a long-term option necessarily either. So I'd have him much higher on my coaching list than I'd have Lombardi on my GM list. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree, but I just, you know, I wonder how, how we got to, this coach needs to be picked wisely because 
it's not like we can just ship off our team if you know everyone's talking about oh Eichel this Eichel that Eichel's gonna be the new GM he's gonna be the new coach screw all those people number one <laughs> and stop I, I I'm hating the constant blame I don't know what it is about Buffalo fans but they just want to they want to act like everyone everyone is so bad and that I you know Eichel's a demanding little whiny kid no he's a kid that wants to win that has generational talent um I'm sorry I'm getting a little yeah. off the record here no I uh, think that's I think that's something that we need to talk about um, the perception of Eichel and I had read, it was Leo Roth, I believe, from the Democrat and Chronicle in Rochester and made a reference to Eichel having blood on his hands in that article. Um, I don't have the quotes directly in front of me, but I remember that specifically. Very critical of Eichel after the reports that he, that he would refuse to sign a contract extension if the coach was not changed. So basically... The perception of Eichel around the league seems to be that he is now a coach killer and he's now a malcontent. And I think some people fall into that camp in Buffalo. Some people are critical of him. If you're in the Mike Harrington type camp, you probably agree at least somewhat with that sentiment. I think most people don't believe that in Buffalo. Um, they think probably the rumors were overblown. There are even some conspiracy theories that it could have been leaked by management. Yeah. Or by, by ownership that Eichel didn't want to sign a contract extension basically to make the decision to fire these guys, to fire Murray and Bilesma Mostly Murray more palatable what they, yeah. for coaches or uh, for the fans. So I don't know if that's true. Of course, that's a conspiracy theory. But um, I think that the, the national perception is is off on Eichel. What are, what are your opinions? I'd like to hear what you think on this. I think that... Jack Eichel is I hate to just I hate to just talk up like talk him up so much, but I just think that he is you know, obviously he's the future of this team. He's our number one player, he's our go to guy. He's the guy, you know, he's I wasn't on camp of it before, but uh he's gonna be the captain of this team. He he has to be the captain of this team. He is the voice of the team. He handles media, he takes all he took he took some shots from the media this year, for sure, and he handled it pretty well. He came out there and scored, and he he battled after the injury. He he cannot be blamed for Dan Bilesma's uh, line shuffling, um, incompetency. It's just it's it blows my mind how people just want to push things to the extreme with this kid. It, it really bugs me. Um, this is a 20-year-old kid who is really pretty much everything we got right now at this point. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree pretty much wholeheartedly with that assessment. I think with a guy like Eichel, with a premier elite player, they're not premier and elite just because of their talent. There are a lot of very talented guys in professional hockey, but – only a few of them rise to that point. And yeah, maybe they had a little bit more natural talent than the next person, but a lot of it's because they work harder than virtually everybody else too. Yep. And that's why they've gotten to that point. And as a result, they want to win 
more than everybody else, and that's why they are these premier players. And I think Eichel falls into that camp. There's a reason why pretty much every star player at some point in their career has been called a coach killer because they want to win so badly. If they see something something going on that's not resulting in winning, they can't stand it. It drives them absolutely crazy. And, of course, the coach is going to end up losing out to the star player. And it doesn't have to be the star player going to management and saying, fire this coach now or I want to be traded. But it can be you – can, you can pick up a lot from what's happening in interviews and what's happening in conversations and what, and what rumors are reaching the level of ownership. So – I think it's wrong to, to say that Eichel being a coach killer is anything unique, really, among the, the high-profile players in this league. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at a Genny Malkin with Dan Bilesma, you know, they did not see it eye to eye. And I uh, was listening to the radio before uh, Bilesma was fired, and Paul Hamilton was on and uh, said that he was in uh, at one of the Sabres uh, Penguins games this year. Malkin was walking down the hallway by himself, uh, going out to the ice, and Dan was sitting there with, uh, with Hamilton there, and uh, Bilesma said, hey, Genny, how's it going? And uh, Malkin never even turned around, never even paid him, paid out, even acknowledged him. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, that goes – you know these these are the best players in the league. These are the best players in the world, not just the league. And when you got someone like that, you don't you don't just you don't just let it go. You know we could you know at one point we might have thought that Sammy Watkins on the Buffalo Bills was one of the best players in the league, but such a different league. Such you know there are a lot more players than a lot a lot more players, a lot more positions on the field and when you got a team got with with five skaters and one goalie on a sport and you got one of the fastest puck carriers in the league with one of the most deadliest shots in the world, that's something you hold on to. And like you said, he Eichel did it wasn't just did it wasn't just born wasn't just born in a hockey player. He is something he's worked at all twenty years of his life to do. So People need to keep that in mind. Yep, yep. And we, we can even extend this to other sports, too. You, I know you just talked about football. I think in football there's a little more of a there, – there's such a correlation between quarterbacks, good quarterbacks, and consistent winning records that those coaches tend not to change too much. So not too many quarterbacks have a reputation of being coach killers. But look at basketball and look at LeBron James. He's been called a coach killer. Oh, yeah. You know, Kobe Bryant, people called him a coach killer. Uh, any any high-profile player, basically, maybe not every single one, but has been called at a certain point in their career. At a certain point in their career, the franchise chose to go in a different direction at coach, and oftentimes it was because things weren't perfect between that star, who's the most important player on the team, and that coach. So I, people are acting like this is something completely out of the ordinary and that it's never happened before and that... Eichel should be ashamed of himself and should have blood on his hands, but this is commonplace. It's it's you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of the old guy in the neighborhood that got mad because a baseball got hit into his backyard with no damage. These damn kids, <laughs> you know, 
it, when it was my when it was my day back in my day I walked a hundred I walked a hundred miles uphill to school it's it's like that mentality with the people that are talking down to Michael calling him a coach car like well yeah like this is anything new yeah. too I mean people want to act so older generations of sports fans when I like back in my day a player would never have the audacity to do this type of thing and this new generation of spoiled brats is coming the, into the frame and yeah they're all <laughs> entitled and they think that the world is just theirs when they come into a situation but this has happened over time you know you go back go back 25 years ago you know go back 50 years ago these kind of things were still happening it, it's it's nothing new and I don't think we should be acting like this is this is something completely unheard of that Eichel's done. Yeah, yeah, it's. Um, Dominic Hasek was a coach killer, no doubt. Probably, probably Gilbert <laughs> Perot at a certain point in his career was called a coach killer. Um, I don't know enough to go back that far in time, but I mean, every high profile, even in in this town, even in Buffalo, has been a coach killer. Is Dominic Hasek is, is Dominic Hasek a coach killer or a coach's wife's? Uh, what? Never mind. I'm sorry. I knew you were gonna go down that path. I saw you get that smirk on your face. I I could I couldn't resist. I couldn't. Um. <laughs> but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um. It's it's uh it's a shame that people don't see the hard work going to it. All they see is advertisements and uh, bright lights on the screen when they're watching a the game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and they don't want to acknowledge that there there is always stuff going on behind the scenes when you have all these all these people with their different personalities and they all have huge egos too. Yeah. Think about all these people were the star of their towns or their cities growing up. They were the best players always until they, you know, until they reached a certain point. Maybe they weren't the the number 1 best player on their college team or their junior team, but they were still a star. And now you get you throw all these people in one locker room together with management teams that all have their egos too. Many of them are ex players and they're all making tons of money. I mean, it's this kind of stuff just happens. And it doesn't mean you can excuse everything, but you've got to put a lot of blame on Bilesma in this situation too. Just like we talked about Murray didn't do himself any favors. Bilesma didn't do himself any favors in this situation either. Yeah. He did anything to try to he, – he should have realized if he wants to keep this job, the number one thing – well, number one thing is to win, and winning will cure everything. But to win, you've got to figure out how to put Jack Eichel in the best situation possible, and I don't think he did that. Oh. Um, I thought I lost you for a second there, Mark. You got scared. I think we're good. I can still hear you. You can hear me? Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, actually, I I couldn't hear you at the end of that, so I I don't know where you finished. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, I was just saying that this kind of stuff happens because of you have all these all these players with big egos thrown into one locker room with millions upon millions of dollars at stake. Yeah. And things like this are going to happen. So I it's just people acting yeah. like like this is the end of the world or that how could any, how could anybody possibly have predicted this would ever happen or anything like this would ever happen? I think it's just yeah. asinine and naive more than anything. Yeah. I couldn't imagine 
you know, being the best hockey player in the county, let alone, you know, in the state, you know. (laughs) So it's, uh, you know, like you said, everyone's the best from where they come. And, they, you know, Jack Eichel has probably never even been on a losing team before. Yeah, Ever and that's life. another underrated thing about these about these you know the tank teams, and then obviously you have guys like Eichel and Reinhardt coming into coming into a bad situation because the team was horrible the year before. That's why they had such a high draft pick. Why they were why they were the worst team in the league, and a lot of these guys have you know they've never experienced losing before in their entire lives, yeah. and so that adds even more more tinder to the. Uh, to the firebox or to the to the matchbox. Yeah. Well, um, I really enjoyed that last conversation, by the way, Mark. I did. Um, but uh, unfortunately, uh, it's getting close to the time where I'm going to have to return this laptop and go to bartend at the tap room in Westfield, New York. Open seven days a week, 365 days a year. So um, <laughs> come on down and uh, – Come get a cold Molson, you hockey fans. Playoff hockey tonight. We got uh, Capitals Toronto, if I'm correct, at 7.30. Yep. Um, I don't know if there's any 10 o'clock games, but uh, we'll have them on at the tap room. So get, Yeah, I get think that's the, that's the last game of the day. What ended up happening, we've been doing the show during the, the Bruins – uh, Senators game. I'm wondering how that one turned out. It was one. It was an, one it was an last I saw. It, it went to overtime. It might still be in overtime. Oh, it looks like it is. Who is who, it? Oh, Ottawa. Ottawa won, so Ottawa has advanced. You know what? So Ottawa, I'm, I'm, Ottawa will face New York. I'm glad. I don't want to ever see it. Like I don't want to root for Ottawa ever, but I don't want to root for Boston either. And yeah, it's like if I had to pick one, I'd pick Ottawa. Yeah, and but you know. I you know just to not see Brad Marchand on the ice is uh, for the rest for a while is a good thing for me, but uh, I think the Ranger I think the Rangers are going to take them are going to take uh, Ottawa for sure. I think so too. Yep. Lundqvist has been pretty good. Yep. Uh, yeah, we had talked about we'd done kind of a modified picks segment last time. We didn't we didn't pick all the series or anything, but yeah, I was I, I definitely thought. New York was the better team than Montreal, and I think Montreal is a better team than both Ottawa and Boston. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, definitely picking New York. And New York, by finishing fourth in that division, avoided Murderer's Row in the other in the other bracket, having to go through you know, the Pittsburgh-Washington bracket. Well, so it looks like we're going to get another – I'm just hoping we get another Pittsburgh-Washington uh, series and got – even though I'm bored of watching those two teams play, I think I've seen those two teams play more than any other two teams besides, you know, if the Sabres not involved, I've seen uh, Pittsburgh and Washington so many times in my life. Oh, yeah. So. But, yeah, it should, still should be a good series. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's always a fun I just one. Hope, I just hope, you know, Washington yeah, crushes them. But we never know. Agreed. You never know. Yeah, and then Edmonton advancing too. That was pretty big deal. I didn't really give them a chance in that series. Yeah, I I thought it would be I honestly thought they would go to at least game seven. I thought it was gonna be a I thought it was gonna be close, but uh 
No, I guess not. Well, I remember when we talked about we talked about odds and we were looking at okay, which ones are we intrigued by? Like kind of the more long shot picks. Yeah, I remember you said Edmonton was one that you were intrigued by, and I I thought San Jose was one that I was intrigued by. So you definitely came out ahead on that one. You had far better prescience than I did. Ooh, I'm gonna mark that one. I'm gonna write that down in my day journal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Shoot, man. Yeah, and Seattle or uh, Seattle, St. Louis advancing to, um, despite really being outplayed in that series, I thought. But they won it in five games. A lot of very close, low-scoring games. Yeah, yeah. Um, we can uh, do some more of this. Hopefully, I will have a laptop pretty soon here for us to uh, continue the conversation and keep on getting these podcasts out to our uh, our our trusty listeners. Um, I do have to go. We can continue this conversation off air for sure. Though. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, we can hopefully as soon as, as soon as possible when you get the new laptop and are able to talk, we can discuss more. Maybe do a little bit of a second round preview. We still have to do our end of year review and stuff, but this news really forced our hand into talking about all the GM and coaching options. So, oh man, poor us, poor us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not complaining. Always something to talk about. Yep. Um, but uh, thanks again, uh, Mark. It's uh, been nice. We'll uh, be coming back to you guys sooner than later, hopefully. Uh, uh, it's been another great episode. I've really enjoyed today. Yeah, definitely. Great uh, great catching up with you, Josh. And thank you for marching on through, through all your technical issues. And um, hopefully to all you listeners out there, hopefully the – sound is up to our normal standards we really did the best we can so appreciate you listening and please uh tell a friend to subscribe on an itunes or whatever podcast aggregating app that you use and as always we thank you for your continued support